noise. Do you guys believe that? So the same Holy Spirit is going to meet with us right now. So this is what I want you to do, okay? I want you guys to get ready for worship, okay? God is going to move. We want you guys to be a part of it. Listen, tell you what. I'll show you a funny story about myself. I remember I was going to a youth group one time, and I remember growing up in church my entire life, okay? And I'm getting this. I'm saying this to you guys so you can get ready for worship, okay? I remember going to church one time, and I thought I was radical. I loved God because I grew up in church, and... Uh, I remember when the worship came on, people were saying, yo, you know what, come on up to front. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, I'm, I'm cool in my seat. I grew up in, a, in an evangelical church, and the first time I've been to a spirit-filled church, and they're calling me out on my seat. I'm like, no, no, no. And I seeing them when the worship's going on. I'm seeing all the kids, all the youth leaders jumping up and down. They're running, and then it got to the part where they're worshiping God, and they get to their knees, and they're just like, God, and they're being touched by God. I'm seeing people cry, and I'm just like, I walked into a crazy place. This isn't church, okay? I'm not used to this. And, and I just remember God touching people individually, but I sat back and I'm like, man, I, I wonder why I don't feel like that. It's because I wasn't allowing God to say, God, you know what? I'll let you in my life. I'll let you do this right now. And God is a God who so wants to be in your life. And I want to encourage you, okay? There may be a few of us in here. What, what I'm going to do right now, the band's going to get started. We're going to get ready for worship. You guys can stand for your feet, please. And why don't y'all begin to make your way up to the front, okay? All of us, come on, make your way up to the front. Come on, Steve's clapping. Come on. <laughs> Get them excited in this place, amen? Come on. Why don't you greet your neighbor? Because y'all going to be dancing and jumping with each other and loving on each other. Come on now, amen? Amen, amen, amen. Come on, right now, attitude of worship and prayer. Let's just lift our hands in this place. God, we're excited for what you're going to do these next couple of hours, tonight, tomorrow. God, just in our lives. God, we pray that this wouldn't be just another service, God. But God, that you would see and you would come down from heaven, Lord, and touch individual people's lives and hearts. That our lives will be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That the gospel will invade our hearts, God. That, God, we wouldn't be the same. May it start right now in our lives. God, may it start right now. God, we bless you. We love you. May you have your way in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You know what? I'm a little lonely up here. So, guys, get closer. Get closer. We're going to go straight to the throne room today. Hallelujah. Come on, get closer. Please, I promise I won't bite. Get closer. Come on, I'm waiting for you guys. Hallelujah. Now lift up your hands and praise Him. Lift up your hands and praise Him. Come on. You don't need a song. Has He not done enough for you yet? Has He not, is He not worthy to be praised? Is He not worthy? Come on, lift up your voices. Lift up your voices. Hallelujah, God. You're awesome in this place. You're awesome in this place. Come on, people. Come on, people. We're going to kick this off right with praise, with worship. There's going to be a heavy, heavy, weighty presence of God in this place. It's going to be so pressed down on you that you will not be able to resist. You will not be able to push back. You will not be able to get out of this place without feeling the glory of God. He is already here. Come on. Let's just lift up your voices right now. Hallelujah. Lift up a shout! You're worthy, Father. You're worthy, Father. 
just getting started. We're just getting started. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift up praise. Lift up praise. Welcome here, move. We want to feel your wind. We want to feel your fire. We want to feel the rushing river of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, move. Come on. Come on, people. Call them down. Call them down. Come on, everybody, wave those hands. 
come up here and just pray. Pray for this weekend. Pray for signs, wonders, and miracles. Pray for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Pray for baptisms in the Holy Spirit. Fire speaking in tongues. Pray that the lame will be healed. Hallelujah. Just pray that we will see the manifestation, the glory, the everlasting heavy presence of God in this place. Hallelujah. you up and we love you God we love you so much in this place Lord we just want to see you glorified God we ask Lord for your presence to be here so thick so manifest that no one would be able to deny it God I pray that you would draw in people that are outside just because your presence is so heavy here God I pray that people who are here today would not come out unchanged God I ask just for 
Baptisms in the Holy Spirit, I ask for changed lives, changed hearts, renewed minds, God. I pray that you would change our thinking, change our way of feeling and seeing this weekend, Lord. I pray for miracles. I pray for healings. I pray for things that only you can do, Lord God. I pray that you would have your way with each of us and that all of us wouldn't be ashamed to praise and worship you, God. We would not be afraid to come close to you, come close to the altar, God, because it is pleasing to you, God. It is so pleasing to you, Lord, and I pray that we would not be scared to do that. I pray that we would let go of everything that hinders us, all the sin that entangles us, God. Lay it down before you, repent of it, and get right with you this weekend and share in your glorious gospel, Lord. In Jesus' name. Come on, just praise him. Continue praising him. Hallelujah. Come on, people. Praise him. We're not here to cheerlead you. We're here just to worship with you. And I'm already in the throne room. You can join me if you want. I'm already in the throne room. Come on. Just worship him. Worship him. Ha -ha. Worship him. Hallelujah. Join the saints. Join the angels. Join the elders. And worship him. Oh.
of God. You're worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve glory. Come on, sing that. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are our faith. To you are our faith. You deserve Lift up your voice right now. Praise Him, praise Him. Hallelujah. And all the saints and angels bow before your throne. All the elders cast their crowns before
voices. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve glory. You are worthy
Every one of you I've called Every one of you are mine Every one of you are mine You're mine, you're mine, you're mine I'm so in love with you, says the Lord I'm so in love with you You're my children You're my children You're my children I watch over you I sing over you like a proud papa I sing over you like a proud daddy I'm so in love with you I'm so in love with you Yes, you. You're asking me, is it me? Yes, you. Yes, you. You're asking yourself, does he love me really? Yes. Yes. Yes, you. I love you. I love you. Come. Come. Come on. I want everyone just to come forward more. There's a lot of, there's a lot of presence of God here in this place. I don't even know how to express it right now. Just come closer. Come closer. Please, come closer. Hallelujah. God's here. He wants to meet with you. He's speaking. He's speaking. Oh, oh, surrender your heart, surrender your heart, oh. The Lord is saying, I gave you, I gave you a will, I gave you a choice so that you would surrender it. I didn't give you a will or a choice so that you would choose sin so that you would choose the things of darkness. I gave you a choice, I gave you a will, so that you would choose me and surrender your will completely. so many words right now. I I feel like there's a handful of words in this place. To speak them out right now. If you have a word, encourage the body by the Spirit of Christ. Everything that you need, everything that you desire is found in this room right now. Everything that you need is found right here. The Lord says to drink deep of him. Receive what you need. Receive what you desire today. Don't go another day. It's right here for you. Don't just give them lip service today. Praise them with your heart. Lift up a shout of praise in this place. Come on. 
Come on, let the devil hear your praise. Let the devil hear your breakthrough. Come on. Shout. Shout. Let's go. Shout. Hallelujah. Praise him. Praise him. He is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Hallelujah, God.
Come on, lift up your hands and sing that. Where your glory is, I want to be. Where your beauty is, I want to see. Where your scars are born, I lay It's your presence, Lord. See on the 
right now oh build your most holy of faiths right now build your most holy of faiths right now come on saints loose loose it speak it out oh intercede for us holy spirit Seed, Holy Ghost. Come on, come on, saints. Come on, saints. Lift up your hands. We're just getting started in this place. Those were our intro songs. Hallelujah. We're just getting started with our praise. Hallelujah. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. It's transforming you right now. You will never be the same after this weekend. Oh, sing it. You blow me away. voices sat you down at his table he has sat you down and he's placed a feast before you but some of you will not eat <laughs> hallelujah just reach out and grab it reach out and grab it reach out and grab the feast that was laid before you come on come on don't be afraid to eat don't be afraid to eat what the Lord has placed before you he sat you down Oh, come on. Come on, reach out. Reach, reach, grab. Come, eat. Come buy from me, says the Lord. Come buy from me without money. Come buy from me without silver, without gold. Come buy from me. Come buy from me. I will restore you. I will heal you. I will drench you with my spirit. Come buy from me without money. I don't need your coin. I don't need your silver, says the Lord. I don't need your gold. Come, come. Take what's before you. Take what's before you. Hey. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hey. 
There's nothing you can do that can impress me, says the Lord. I am God. I am sovereign. I am your creator. There's nothing you can do that can impress me. Everything I give, I give freely. I give freely. Receive, 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 receive. Come, receive. You've got nothing. I've given you everything. You've got nothing for me. I've given you your very life. Just surrender. Surrender it. Surrender it. Surrender. Everything you have is mine, says the Lord. Who do you think gave it to you? Surrender it to me. Surrender it to me. You think you've worked hard for this? <laughs> you think you've worked hard? I gave it to you. I gave it to you. Surrender. Surrender it. Surrender it right now. Place it at my feet. All those crowns on your head. All those crowns on your head. Right now you can place them. You don't have to wait till that day. You can surrender them now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, there's a sweet presence of God in this place right now. Who feels that? Who feels that? Come on, worship him. Worship him. Praise him. If you sense him, praise him. If you sense him, that means he's here. You see, if, if Barack Obama walked in, some of you guys would give him a standing ovation. Jesus is here. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He's here. He's here. If you feel him, that means he's here. Praise him. Praise him. Woo! <laughs> Hallelujah! We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Slap your neighbor high five and tell him Jesus is here. Come on. Slap your neighbor high five and go. Tell him Jesus is here. Hallelujah. Lord. Just begin to make your way back to your seats if you can. Praise God. It's good to see everybody here. God is in this place. Oh, yes, 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 Lord. We just say yes to you. Band, you guys could be seated, but I'm going to ask the keyboarder to stay up there, Chris. Oh, we just say yes to the Lord this afternoon. Amen. We say yes to Jesus. Just say that with me. Yes, Lord. Amen. Don't you just sense the Lord in your heart right now? Amen. And what I want us to do is just close our eyes for a few moments. I'm going to ask that you guys to just come over here. Just close your eyes and just set a goal in your heart or a few that you would like to see Jesus do in your life during this weekend. Just close your eyes as a time of meditation right now. And just meditate on what do you want to see God do in your life right now, starting today and for the rest of this weekend. Maybe you just want to see God do one thing, you know, break an addiction in your life, a bad habit. Well, I want you to focus on that right now and say, Lord, would you do that?
For some of you, it's like, I just want to go deeper with God. I just want to experience Him and know Him more. Come on, I want you to meditate on that. I want you to set it in your heart, a goal that you want to achieve in the Spirit by God's grace this weekend. Just close your eyes and just begin to picture it. One, two things, whatever it is, and then just start to ask the Lord. We're going to just do this for a few moments, so let's not be in a hurry. Let's get comfortable. And I want you just to ask the Lord to do it. I want you to share with Him how you want Him to do it. Like just, God, I want you to do it through me, through worship, through the Word. Let's just focus on that right now because we're not coming here aimless. We're coming here for a purpose. you get ready to write this down because we're going to give you guys all journals. Would you grab those quickly, Berto? Some of the ushers help him out back there. We're going to put these uh, packets in your hand for this weekend and you're going to have notes in there and I want you to write that down right now. What you want to see God do in your life. What you want out of this weekend. Something precious in your life that's going to be more than just a service. So as those are going around right now, I just want you to find a place to write it down. Can I get one up here too, please? I want to write mine down. If you could grab a pen for mine, me as well. If you need pens, we'll give you guys some pens. But we're just going to take our time. Can I get that one in your hand there? Oh, thank you. Towards the back, you have a section of just notes right here, and I would just use this for journaling. So I would just write it down right now. I'm going to write down mine. services. What do you want to see God do in your life? It's like you have taken time to be here. ladies in the back that can sing prophetically because I just want somebody, a woman to come up here and just sing in the spirit 
I want somebody to come over this microphone and just sing in the spirit because I feel something prophetic. And what I mean by prophetic is going on is I mean God is doing something deeper than what you see right now. It's bigger than a church service. It's bigger than like the band. I know you could feel it, man. There was so much of what you were doing that I was feeling back there, man. I was just like, oh, God, we're there. But I see in this atmosphere, I don't want to keep telling you you're not, you're not, you're not. But I want you to understand something. If you keep looking at the natural, you're going to miss this. If you're just like, you know, when is something phenomenal going to happen? Like as in a speaker or when is a new worship song going to come that's going to like touch my heart? You're going to miss it. So as Vanessa's grabbing the mic right now, I want her just to sing in the spirit as you guys are praying right now because I just want to help just take the veil of the natural world away and for you guys just to peer into the supernatural world. I want you to think about this. The supernatural world where God is surrounded by angels in the throne is more real than you and I right now sitting on chairs made of brick and stone. You know, in a building of brick and stone. What's going around the throne is more real than what's going on right now in this room. I'm not trying to say this room is not real, like metaphysical stuff. But no, I'm just telling you, what is supernatural is more real than natural. Because before there was ever a tree, think about this, before there was ever an earth, a tree, a stone, a rock, there was God. God created this. These things will pass away. This wood, this brick, this stone, it will pass away. And so what God is doing in times like this, retreats, is he's connecting us to that world. He says in Ephesians, you are seated with me in heavenly places. Do you always feel like you're seated with God in heavenly places? I don't. But it's a reality. You know, you're working your job. Somebody does something to tick you off. You forget all about what God's done in your life. You're focused on the natural. You have a bad day. You come home. You kick the dog. Get into a fight with your wife, your mom, whoever, you know, your husband. And all of a sudden, it's like the things right here in this world just like blind us. And we can't see it anymore. So we come to church. We come to church on a Sunday. And it's, and it's like the blinds are lifted up and like our eyes are open. And we can see just a glimpse of heaven. And we're like, oh, yeah, heaven's real, man. I can feel Jesus. This is real. But then it's like the week starts again. And then it's just like the lights start to go dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. By being here on this weekend, what we're trying to say is, God, just throw open the blinds. Let the light in, God. You know, we're, we're, we're telling God, come on in. God, I'm not afraid anymore. Look, I'm going to open my closet up this weekend, God. I'm going to show you the parts of my life that I don't usually show anybody, that I don't deal with on a Sunday because I'm too embarrassed. But God, I'm going to open up my closets and let the light in. I'm going to open up the blinds. I'm going to let you in. I want to see you. That's my heart. I want to see God more today than I ever have before. Vanessa, would you just sing what's in your spirit and just, maybe if you want to read a scripture, you can, because we're not in a hurry. If you want to write and journal, or if you just want to listen to her sing, I know I just need to have the light shine brighter in my heart today. Jesus, turn her up just a little bit. Come on. She's just going to sing whatever's in her heart. 
like they did in the Bible days, like how the book of the Bible, Psalms, was written just out of men of God's heart, women of God singing. Miriam, after they crossed the Red Sea, she's just going to sing what's in her heart. singing girl open up Psalms 139 as she's singing right now and just begin to read it as she's singing if some of you just want to pray that's okay but I want to help some of you go deeper right now Hallelujah. 
Lord's just keep playing. We thank you, Vanessa. Can we give the Lord a hand clap for Vanessa just coming and ministering to us? I want you to open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 24, and I want to encourage you as we get ready here to uh, get into God's Word. We're going to have a great uh, conference, but I want to open your heart up with this Word today and just really kind of uh, inspire you to what I think this weekend is going to hold. Uh, for you and I, I'm really excited about this. So, Second Samuel chapter 24. As you uh, have your packets in front of you, this was uh, done by Sister Cynthia. So, if you see her, just tell her thank you. She's uh, somewhere around here. And uh, basically, what you have is, you know, the conference cover page, the schedule, and we'll be doing fellowship times in between our sessions. So there'll be one between 4 and 7 p.m. today. And uh, Ishmael's going to be leading a group out to go bowling if you guys want to do that. Also, there will be a group here with uh, the moving uh, like Wii video games and board games. And then I'll be going street witnessing because I don't get a chance to do that a lot. So I'm going to be doing that. So if anybody wants to stand out there in front and catch the rush hour with me, that was kind of a radical thing, fun thing for me to do. So I'm going to do that. So you got you got a couple different options for fellowship. Uh, hang out here, go bowling, or come preaching with your pastor. And don't feel like you're uh, not spiritual if you don't preach with me. That's just something that I get to do, and it relaxes me, actually. I get to find a peace in that. And then we'll have a session tonight again. Uh, then tomorrow will be our third session from 9 to 11, uh, break time in the middle. And we'll think of something else besides bowling or maybe something like that uh, for that free time. And then from 2 to 4, there will be breakouts. And you can pick one according to uh, what fits you best. If you're a married couple, you can do that. If you're a single young adult, you can do that. Or if you're a youth, uh, you can do that. And then Sunday mornings we'll be uh, concluding our series so I want you to make sure you come and bring this with you Sunday morning so that you can uh, get the most out of uh, that message. It's going to be the, glo- uh, the God of the gospel, which is going to be awesome. And then if you look at just section one, just as an example, section one there in your book, page four, you see that we've provided with you, you know, some uh, notes and some fill in the blanks and some questions that you can fill out as you're going through the sessions. And the reason why we'd want you to do that, like if you're looking at session one, is uh, you'll have this to keep in your records for as long as Jesus has uh, given you grace to live upon the earth. Amen? So as long as you're alive, you can keep this and have it with you. And we're also going to be recording these and putting them up online as well as having this in a PDF file format so you can share it with your friends. Somebody go, oh, snap. Amen. So that's what Jared's going to be doing. And if you kind of thumb through there, you can see the rest of the sessions are already there. Uh, And even the breakout sessions are there. So say you're uh, a single and you're ready to mingle. And so you go to the single one, but you miss the marriage one and you get married this year. You can catch that by going to the video and seeing the marriage section and then um, doing it here and filling it out. So we're going to see we can make sure we get each session recorded as well. We'll figure a way out uh, to do that. Are you guys with me in 2 uh, Samuel chapter 24? If you're there, can you say I'm there? Thank you. I want you to look at this. This is a story about David. And uh, David was a king. He was a great man of God. And he was fighting some battles. And at one point, uh, there was some stuff going on. And he wanted to offer a sacrifice to God. And so... This passage of the the Bible catches us up with him as he's about ready to make a sacrifice to God. Verse 19. 
Chapter 24, verse 19 of 2 Samuel. And thank you, Chris. Let's give it up for Chris back there helping us out today. Amen. Setting the mood. It says, so David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Ariana uh, looked and saw the king, his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Verse 21, Ariana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David answers, to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. So there's some trouble going on a plague, and, and David is going to offer a sacrifice to God. And so he goes to this guy, Ariana, and he says, man, can I get your threshing floor, which is basically like a place where they would beat the, uh, the wheat to separate from the leaves and the chaff. And to, uh, it was basically like he was asking him, can I get your barn here? Can I get some of your equipment? And uh, I want to build an altar where you have your barn at, basically. I want to build an altar here. And uh, Orion said to David, uh, let my lord, the king, take whatever he pleases and offer it up. Here are my oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the, the threshing sledges. Can you put the scriptures up there, please, uh, Ellie? And ox yokes for the wood. So basically what this guy is saying is, uh, King David, whatever you need to make the sacrifice, man, I'm going to give it to you. You want to take part of my barn, you can have it. You need some wood. Here, I'm going to take the wood from the ox. I'm going to give it to you. And, hey, you can sacrifice my ox as well because I want you to have it. Everybody say amen. Verse 23, O king, Oriana gives all this to you, to the king. So he says, I give all of this to you. Everybody say he was giving it to him. Okay, so Oriana said, King, you don't got to buy this from me. Man, you're my king. And you're wanting to offer a sacrifice to God. That's going to be on behalf of our people. You know, he said, you don't got to pay me for this oxen and for the wood and for the threshing floor. Man, I'll just give all of this to you. But I want you to look at what David says in response. He says, O king, Ariana gives all this to you. May the Lord your God accept you. Verse 24, but the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying for it. Everybody say paying for it. Thank you. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Come on, somebody. Let that sink into your heart right now. David was offered everything he wanted to sacrifice with for free. And that was a good offering to make because that man was understanding what was going on. He was like, David's going to do something good here. I want to be a part of it. David, it's free. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Aaron didn't do anything wrong. I mean, wouldn't you offer up your thing? You would say, hey, if you want to burn my car right here and you want to take the lechone out my refrigerator, you can have it all. You can have whatever. You can have part of my house. You can have my closet. You can tear it down. We'll set it on fire right now. You can have all this. I know that's what I would say. Would most of you say that? I know I would. But David does something that is so unique right here. David says, no, I'm not going to give that to God because it cost me nothing. That would be like you making the sacrifice. And David was saying, I have to make the sacrifice. Now let me just share with you why that's so important when it comes to weekends like this. Our church, Metro Praise, has always been based on people being disciples, living for God. 
But over time, what I notice is that some of the ones of us here who have been around the longest, we can get it in our mind that we're here for someone else. Like I do my life group for the people that come to my life group. You know, I lead worship for these people down here. You know, I preach for the people out there. And those that of us who are leaders, sometimes we can get to the, to the point where we're offering sacrifices for other people. And we can't do that. Meaning I can preach, but I can't put the word in your heart. That's something you have to have. And you have to get the word that costs you something in your devotional time, in your prayer time. The worship leader can give you worship, but for it to be worship to you, it has to cost you something and you have to do it. Are you all listening with me? And sometimes there's this unhealthy bond that forms between the leadership and the people and it's almost like what we left when we left Roman Catholicism, where it almost becomes like now in Protestantism, you know, my pastor with the spiky hair, the worship leader, you know, up here, you know, like hooting the blowfish or whatever. Or, you know, I was trying to think of another one, but I couldn't come up with it. Um, but, you know, we, we have like this idea like, like they're doing it for me, like Ish is worshiping for me. You know, they're doing it for me. They're going to witness for me. Joe's going to preach for me. You know, this Bible study, they're going to do the Bible study for me. But what are you sacrificing for God? You can't offer to God something that costs you nothing. What you offer to God has got to cost you something. Now, you coming here today, I believe, cost you something. And I believe you can offer that to God. I believe you can say to the Lord, Lord, you know, this wasn't a Sunday service. This is not somebody doing something for me. I came here on my own. God, I'm praying. I'm seeking your face. I'm writing down the things that I want to have changed in my life. I'm offering you extra time, extra finances, because some of you maybe are not getting paid for being here. You are offering this to the Lord, and I want to say, well done. But don't leave out of here until you got what you came for. So David bought the threshing floor, the auction, and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord. Verse 25 there, sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. I don't want you all to leave here until the Lord answers your prayer. Really, come on, I'm partnering with you this weekend. Don't leave here. Until the Lord answers your prayer. If it's an addiction you want to see broken, I don't want you to leave here until that addiction is broken. If, you know, if, and if you don't want to leave here tonight, you can have an all-night prayer. I mean, I volunteer Berto to be with you here all night because he got off work. Amen. I went to a church. They had all-night prayer night. Uh, all-night prayer means every Friday night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Amen. He is your huckleberry. He will be with you. I, I'm talking literally here now. You all tracking with me? Literally. There is no reason why you can't receive something from God. Why? Because you have given him something that costs you something. And, and it's not like we're earning the miracle or the reward or we're saying to God, like, this is a trade in some way where I can now say I deserve this. No, we're just following the principle that if we're asking God for something, we need to give up something. 
And you know what most of the time it is, and I can't speak for everybody here, but only for my personal experience, because I know me, amen. You know you, and I know me. You know most of the time in my life when I'm giving up things to the Lord, those are the very things that God wanted me to give up to make room for the new thing. It's like sometimes God is saying, take off a weekend and take some time and come with me. And by doing that, I'm not spending time with the friends that I used to, doing things off the TV that I used to. And while I'm doing that, God now fills me with the good things. He fills me with new things. Not every time everything we give up is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying a lot of times in my life, what I have realized is giving up is, is God always has something better. He has something better better. He has something better for us. Do you believe that? Amen. So as we get ready to encounter God in this uh, conference, I want to ask you just to to be with me in that heart. Uh, You know, so I'm not like begging you guys to come back tonight at seven or read your Bible. No, you're doing it on your own because you're saying, God, I'm going to give something here. And when we're talking about, you know, journaling and all that, you're not doing that for me. You're doing that for God. So that at the end of all of this, if someone was to ask you, man, why did you go to your church this weekend? I mean, don't you get church enough? You go to the Bible studies, you go to Sundays. I mean, did you, you know, you don't, you not know the Bible, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Well, you need to go more, you know. I want you to be able to say to your friends who would say that, oh, no, this is why I gave up this weekend. Because during this weekend, something very specific happened in my life. My marriage got stronger. My spirit got refreshed. I was strengthened on the inside. I felt like giving up on some things. But God renewed them. I needed some wisdom. Some specific decisions were going to have to be made in my life. And God spoke those to me. I was thirsty for more of God, and I was getting desperate because Sundays weren't enough. And sometime in that conference, God did more in me than I've ever had him do. Amen? So I hope that we all can take this journey together into the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to learn more about the gospel than you ever had before. But I believe it's not going to be information that's going to change your life. It's going to be revelation. It's going to be Jesus speaking things to you, and it's going to mean something. And I want it to mean something to the first-time visitor. If you're with us, thank you. Or for me and my wife who have been here since the days were open, uh, that we opened the doors, I want to receive something this weekend. Amen? So would you just stand to your feet with me? We're going to get ready to welcome Jared, and let's just raise up our hands right now and just say, Jesus, I open my heart for this session to speak to me and change my life. I am yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you give him a hand clap of praise? How's everybody feeling? You feeling Jesus? Amen. This is going to change your lives, guys. Just have some open ears and open hearts right now. The Bible says that uh, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So just whatever I tell you, don't take it as Jared's opinion. I've taken some time to prepare the message prayerfully and true to what God says in the Bible so I'm not in error. So take this as I can bank on this. I can base my life on this. I can trust what this Word is saying. We're going to take a look this morning, uh, this afternoon rather, at grasping the gospel. This is to kick off our series on the glorious gospel. And this whole weekend we're going to talk about 
uh, growing in the gospel, giving the gospel, getting the most out of the gospel, and getting to know the God of the gospel. Is that enough G words for you? Good times and glory. There's a few more. So there's, there's going to be a lot of glory, a lot of goodness, a lot of gospel preaching this weekend. And I want to take the time to unpack it for you, to give you a comprehensive understanding of what the gospel is and what it means for you and me. We have our definition of the gospel, as you see in the handouts, and you see on the screen the gospel defined. This is our running definition for the conference. Again, we believe this is true to the message of the Bible and everything that it says concerning the gospel. Everyone look at it with me. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is not an English word, by the way. It's a Greek word, and that's what it means. It means good news. How many like hearing good news? All right, you like hearing good news about your finances, and good news about your health, and good news about your family, your kids. Well, this is good news about your soul. Amen? The gospel is the good news concerning God's glory and humanity's salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you may not realize it, but that sentence is a stake. That sentence is full of spiritual nutrients, and I'm going to take the time to cut it into pieces for you, spoon feed it for you, help you chew it and digest it. And, and if you need a Dolkalax, uh, we got some in the back because you're going to need to really digest. I'm going to extrapolate a lot. Your handouts are simple. The, uh, the slides here are simple, but I'm going to extrapolate a lot out of these points to make sure you have a thorough understanding of the gospel. And before I get into that, I just want to make you aware of something I'm always aware of when I preach, is that there are two types of people in this room. Now, Christians, are, we don't make distinctions based on race, class, income level, sex, or any of those things, but we do make a crucial distinction. Those who are in Christ, those who are not in Christ. There are those of you who are in Christ, you know God, your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven. And those, and there's those of you who are not in Christ, and you don't know God, and you might think you know God, but you don't know God, your sins are not forgiven, you're not going to heaven. I'm telling you, this message is for both of you. Whether you know the Lord, you've been serving the Lord for years, this is for you. There's more to be had. Amen? And I find so often that when people get saved in churches, especially here in America, they, they flow out of feelings. I feel good, my life's changed, and I love Jesus. I get goosebumps in church, I get the tickles. This is amazing. But I tell you, there is substance to this faith, and that substance is what's going to carry you. And for that second group, those of you who are lost and don't know God, this gospel has power to save your soul and change your miserable spiritual condition. I'm going to give you five keys uh, to grasping the gospel. Uh, really quick, just going to go over these. We're going to unpack these throughout the sermon. Number one, grasping that God is a good creator. Number two, grasping that mankind is a sinful creation. Number three, grasping that God is a righteous judge. Number four, grasping that Christ is a crucified and risen Savior. No, uh, that was number four. Number five, mankind is to repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I want to start us off with a pop quiz. These are in your handout, so let's have that in front of us, and you can write your answers down to this. These seem like simple questions, but as we get into the sermon, you'll see how important this is. First question is, question of the day, are you a good person? And I have yes or no. I don't leave room for maybes, because this is going to force you to be as honest with yourself as you possibly can be. Are you a good person, yes or no? Circle one. 
Second question, if you answered yes, I'm a good person. Second question is for you. What makes you a good person? By what criteria are you good? Third question, and this is for those who say, no, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a good person. I actually, uh, I'm actually kind of messed up. If you answered no, you're not a good person, then fill it in here. If you are not a good person, then what kind of person are you? And while you ponder that, I'm going to give you the first key to grasping the gospel. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1 in our Bibles. While you just ponder that, write down your answers. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. The first key to grasping the gospel is grasping that God is a good creator. This deals with our worldview. You must understand first that God made everything out of nothing. That he made mankind in his image. That he is the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe. And this is our foundation here. Because if you believed in evolutionary theory, then you throw right and wrong and the, the meaning of existence out the window. That's just another example of a worldview. And some people tell you you can live a life of purpose as an atheist, but it's not consistent with the view that we are just created by chance and evolved from monkeys. That does not line up. But if God is a good creator, it tells us that there's good in the world. It also tells us there's evil in the world. It tells us there's right. It tells us there's wrong. It explains why we feel the way we do about things. So much can be inferred from God being a good creator. So let's look at Genesis 1. Many of you are familiar with this. Let's look at Genesis 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We'll stop right there. In the beginning, God. The thesis of Genesis 1 is God is making everything. He makes everything out of nothing. He purposes it, designs it, sets it in motion, puts it in his proper place, and that's what he's doing throughout the course of the seven days of Genesis 1. We, we believe in that seven-day week of creation. And there's a phrase that occurs seven times in Genesis 1, and that phrase is, it was good. Everyone say it was good. So when God makes something, for instance, in verse 4, he made the light. And when he made the light, he saw that it was, it was good. And he says that about the vegetation and the fruit. He says that in verse 12, that it, was, that it was good. He made the sun, the moon, and the stars. In verse 18, put them in their place. And it was, he made the birds and the sea creatures. And they were, he made livestock and other land-dwelling animals. And they were, in verse 31, if you look at verse 31, I had the first chapter, uh, the first verse and the last verse of this chapter is kind of bookends, and it kind of says it all. God saw all that he had made, verse 31 of Genesis uh, 1, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. I want to ask you again, are you a good person, having read Genesis, having understood what God deems to be good? And I want to ask you another question. If God is a good creator, why did he create? And some of you are new to this conversation, but this is a profound question among theologians, philosophers, because it's essentially asking, why do I exist? What am I here for? And why is there something instead of nothing? Why did God make the universe? Answer is found in Romans 11.36, which is in your handouts. Romans 11:36, and it's on the slide here, and it says it in so many other places and so many other ways in the Bible. It says, for from him and through him and to him. Who's him? God. For from God and through God and to God are 
all things, not just some things, all things, not just Sunday morning church, all things. That is to say that everything is from God, is through God, and to God. The universe and everything that goes on in the universe is from God. God is the origin and source of all life and existence. And it is through God. The Bible says that he sustains all life and all creation by the word of his power. And to him are all things. So everything is going to go back to him in, in this form. And it says, to him be the glory. Everyone say glory. glory. Forever. Amen. God made a universe to display his glory. God made a universe. Listen, God doesn't need a universe God doesn't need people. It's, he's God. He's self-existent. But he made a universe for his glory so that he could display his goodness. You ever have something so good you just wanted to share it with somebody? Well, God is so good, he just wanted to share it with everybody. And he made a universe to make that possible, to display who he is, his goodness, his righteousness, his justice, his peace, all these things. He made a universe to display those things, and everything that goes on in it is to bring him glory. I want to ask you again, are you a good person? I'll add a qualifier to that. By whose standard are you a good person? By whose standard are you a good person? I want you to look at the screen here. We have a working definition. Again, we believe these things are true to what the Bible teaches. What is good according to the Bible? We're not consulting Webster's Dictionary. We're not consulting Glamour Magazine, ladies. If you think your family's a good family, we're not consulting Modern Family or all these other backslidden sitcoms about jacked-up, dysfunctional families with two dads and three moms and, and, and two-and-a-half kids. Good according to who? According to God. Let's look at it on the screen. That Good is that which conforms exactly to God's morality God's will and God's design and in itself brings glory to God. That's what good is. Are you good in that way? Because if something uh, violates God's moral law, it's no longer good. If something deviates from God's will or rejects God's will, it's no longer good. If something is out of tune with God's design, it ceases to be good. Well, what does it become? If something does not give glory to God and honor and praise to his name, but actually brings dishonor and disgrace to God, what does it become if it's not good? What's the opposite of good? Bad is one word. Here's a word I'm going to use a whole lot. Get used to it. Sin. Sinful. There's a whole lot of ways we can extrapolate it. Does your life bring glory to God? And are you good by the definition of God? This brings me to the second key to grasping the gospel. is grasping that mankind is a sinful creation. And some of you might be looking at me and saying, this guy's just another hellfire, doom and gloom preacher. He's making me feel bad about myself. He's laying a trip on me. Listen, I know I'm not perfect, but, but I'm, not a, I'm not a sinner either. I'm not Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not Adolf Hitler. I'm not, I'm not Newtown. What are you trying to say? And I'm going to lay a trip on you. If I haven't laid a trip on you already, I will lay a trip on you. Because you know what? By the end of this conference, you will have had more glory and goodness and mercy and peace and love to fill your hearts than you can shake a stick at. But you need to hear the bad news before you hear the good news. You need to understand your need for the gospel. Man is a sinful creation. What does the Bible say? Look at Romans chapter 3. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? This is Romans 3, 9. Are we any better? Not at all. 
we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. I want to pause there. They are under sin. I'm going to say sin as a twofold thing. Sin is an evil deed or a behavior that is just wrong and against God, such as adultery, lying, etc. But sin is also a condition. It says that people have a sinful nature. It's something that's just deeply inbred in us. And it says everybody is under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And just looking ahead to verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So not only are you not a good person by the standard of God, the Bible say nobody is. Think of the best person you know. It could be your mom, your grandma, dad or grandpa, somebody who's just been awesome in your life, or maybe some historical figure. You're thinking about Gandhi and all the things he did or some great person of history. No one is righteous, not even your grandma. No one is righteous, not even Gandhi. No one is exempt from the sin condition. No one has ever risen above it. Don't think we're that bad. Don't think people are that bad. All I have to say right now is Newtown. You have a shocking reminder that the world is not a good place and that people are not good, but on the other hand, they have a, an amazing capacity to do evil. G.K. Chesterton, a philosopher, he said this, what he called original sin, we're going to call the fall of man, which I'll explain in a minute, what he called sin, the sin condition, original sin. He said that original sin is empirically validated and verified by 3,500 years of human history. That is to say, if you look at all of human history, all the wars that have fought, all the kingdoms, all the dynasties, all the fashion trends, all the technology, all the learning, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, and everything, all the religions, everything that has come and gone, and we come to this conclusion, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't bring glory. We fall short of it. We're not good. Something is very wrong. I want to take a moment to take you back into time, back to the beginning, to the first man and the first woman. Romans 5.12 says it in a very concise way. Romans 5.12, Adam and his wife Eve walked with God. Perfect nature. When you think of a perfect nature, not only do they not sin, but they don't get sick or, or anything else. They're just perfect, perfectly healthy beings. And they're in a perfect relationship with God. And they're in a perfect environment, the Garden of Eden. And, and, and in time, what happens is Adam is given a choice. God says to him, and this is found in Genesis 2. We won't read it all because it's a lengthy passage. But Genesis 2, God says to Adam, you will not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And in time, the devil came along in the guise of a serpent. He tricked Eve into eating that fruit. She ate it. She gave it to her husband. He ate it. And they suddenly became ashamed, and their eyes were open. They were oh, exposed to the knowledge of good and evil. They were exposed to the knowledge of good and evil, to a realm of possibilities that they were never meant to experience. 
They're only supposed to know the good part, amen? They're only supposed to know the God part. Relationship, fellowship with God, perfect union with Him. No pain, no suffering. They were exposed to it because they exposed themselves to, to, to disobedience. They disobeyed God in that. Adam didn't beat his wife, didn't rob a bank. God said, don't eat that fruit, and he ate it. That was disobedience, and that is sin. So he exposed himself to disobedience. He fell away from perfection at that moment. Their eyes were open. They were ashamed. And God said to him, what have you done? And God cursed Adam. God cursed Eve. God cursed the serpent. God cursed the earth. And God banished them from the garden. And he banished them from eating from that tree of life. There was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. That's the tree you want. But they were banished from it. Romans 5.12 says it like this. Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men, because all have sinned. So Adam introduced the human race. We are his great, 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 great grandchildren. And there's a law of the kingdom and a law of nature that God set in place. You will reproduce after your own kind. Adam was made in the image of God, but Adam's son was made in Adam's image. A marred image, a disobedient image, a rebellious image. We see the world today that we live in is fallen. Here are some things that we get from this fall from grace, this fall from fellowship with God. This is the fall of man. What did we inherit from Grandpa Adam? We inherited sin, a sinful nature, a sinful condition, a proclivity toward wickedness, toward disobedience. That even when God's perfect law and God's perfect statutes, you know, the Ten Commandments and all these other things, even when we're exposed to those things, there's still something innately in us that, that wants to rebel against it, that wants to find our way around it, that wants to justify ourselves when we break His commandments. There's a sinfulness about us that makes us rebellious, causes us to do evil. As I've mentioned Newtown and other things, we live in a fallen world. Sickness and sorrow also mark uh, the human race because of Adam. We became sick. We had the ability. We 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 uh, took on illnesses. It says in John chapter nine regarding this blind man. And they asked Jesus, "Who sinned, the blind man or his parents?" Because they're thinking, if you sin, something bad happens to you. Jesus said, "It, it wasn't because of either of their sin." But listen, we're all conceived in sin. He was not sick or blind because of any particular sin. It was the sin condition. It was his inheritance from Adam. Sickness and sorrow. Separation from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says the arm of God is not short or weak. The eyes of God are not blind. The ears of God are not deaf. But he says it's our sins that have separated us from God. It brings about spiritual darkness. As the image of God in us, we were made in His image, we were made for His glory. But as we turned our backs on God, we developed all sorts of crazy concepts of God. Different world religions, different philosophies, different explanations of life. Spiritual darkness. It says in Romans chapter 1 that people knew God, but they didn't find the, the knowledge of God worthwhile. They traded the truth of God for a lie. And all of us have done so in one way or another. And finally, death. Death through sin, says Romans 5.12, that sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. Death 
affects us in every conceivable way, physical, spiritual, emotional. Sin brings death to everything it touches. Sin is a cancer that brings death to everything it touches, resulting in the second death. This is something we'll unpack shortly. I want to take you to the third key to grasping the gospel. Grasping that God is a righteous judge. I want you to think about something. There are seven billion people on the planet today. And they're all sinful. Most of them, you know, Christians, we have a new, we have a new nature. We're in Christ. That's changed. But think of how many sins God sees on a daily basis. I, I don't know the math. Untold trillions of sins on a daily basis. God has every abortion. He, he sees it with his holy eyes. He sees, he sees human trafficking. He sees all the wild stuff that goes on. He hears every lie, every word of gossip, every slander. The Bible says he perceives our thoughts from afar. So he is a witness to our perverse fantasies and things that we would be ashamed if anybody knew about. He sees everybody's sins on a daily basis, including yours, including mine. And people ask, well, why... How could God be good if the world is like this? How could God be good with all this wickedness and all this suffering and all these things? I'm going to tell you what a good God's going to do about it. Amen? Look at Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18, verse 25. I'll give you a quick context here. We know Abraham, the father of the faith. He is praying for the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. These are cities filled with wickedness, sexual perversion, and greed. And it says that their sin was so great it became a stench in the nose of God. And Abraham is praying for these cities, not, not specifically for the wicked people, but his nephew Lot lives there with his family. So he's pleading with God to spare these cities for the sake of his nephew. Genesis 18.25, this is the prayer of Abraham. He's having it out with God. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And he will do right. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to hold every person accountable for exactly what they have done. And I want to take a moment just to clear up a misconception. Most people think the only bad people are murderers, rapists, and dictators. And that if there's such a place as hell, then they're the ones who go there. But everybody else is all right. I want to show you the folly of that logic. If you want a God who is good and a God who is just to condemn a murderer or condemn a rapist for their sins... And then to look upon you and the many sins you've committed and to say, I understand you were dealt a tough hand. And to let you into his kingdom without question. That wouldn't be fair, would it? To, to treat the righteous and the wicked alike, yet no one is righteous. So he's treating the wicked alike. This is his sentence. Think about it. When you were a kid... And you were trying to get away with something. You were trying to get some special favor. You were trying to get something the other students weren't having. And the teacher would say to you, hey, if I, have, if I do it for you, i got to do it for everybody else. If God forgives your sins, think about this. He would have to tolerate and affirm sin and evil. And he would cease to be good at that point. 
Furthermore, he would display partiality, unfairness, bias. He wouldn't be so much a righteous judge as, as more like a, a corrupt politician who can favor some people over others just because he feels like it. How many know power and evil don't mix? If the world is a scary place between Newtown and 9-11 and the nuke bomb and everything else, when, when the creation is not good, can you imagine if God is not good? Can you imagine if God is not good? But because God is good, here's what he's going to do. I'm going to jump through a lot of scriptures right now. God will judge everyone according to exactly the things they did. Ecclesiastes 12:14. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. That's Ecclesiastes, Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we all, someone say we all, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. There's that good or bad thing going. Romans chapter 2, verse 6 and verse 16. God will give to each person according to what he has done. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. God will judge men's secrets. Nobody gets away with anything. There is no such thing as a perfect crime. We don't get away with these things. Jesus said, I am the faithful and true witness. And he will be on the witness stand testifying to the life you lived. When you thought no one else was looking. When you thought you'd get away with it and there'd be no consequence. He will judge men's secrets. Jesus in Revelation 22 verse 12. Speaking of his return, he says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Jesus saying that should strike terror in the hearts of some. He's going to give me according to what I've done? Come on. I'm not looking forward to that. Just like when you, when you did something you know you shouldn't have when you were kids and and, and your, when you knew when your father get, got home, he was going to take the belt off. Come on. You're not looking for that. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I'm going to see what you did. Did you keep the house nice? You didn't have your friends over? Come on. But for those who are disorderly and rebellious, thinking Jesus was waiting too long to come, he has a reward for them. Hebrews 9.27, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Hebrews 9.27, just as man is destined to die once. There's no karma, there's no reincarnation, there's no second chances. This life is it. YOLO. Come on. You, you only live once and then the judgment. You only live once and then you stand before God accountable for the life you live. Hell is real. How does God deal with the wicked? Because we broke the eternal law of an eternal God, our punishment is eternal. Revelation 20, 11 through 14 talks about the great white throne judgment. There is a universal day of judgment when every person, every man, woman that's ever lived will stand before God. 
and be accountable. And it says that there were books open, and then there was the book of life. But whoever's name was not in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. And that is the second death. Some of you thought that the only people that went to hell were murderers, rapists, and dictators. Here's the kind of people that go to hell. Revelation 21, verse 8. And if any of these describe you, this gospel will will change your situation. Amen? Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers. And by the way, Jesus said that anger and hatred and bitterness toward another person is tantamount to murder. So again, we want God to condemn murderers, but we don't want him to judge our murderous hearts. And I say that as as real as possible because without Christ, I could have been a Columbine. I could have been an Adam Lanza. I'm going to be real because that's that's what people's fear for me, the way I carried myself, just the way I looked at life. And I I could have had that in me. And I tell you, five years ago, Adam Lanza had it in him to do that. Are you with me? He had it in him to do that. Before he did that, it was in his heart. It was a seed in his heart. And Jesus said also, the sexually immoral, when you lust after a woman, when you view pornography, when you have a perverse fantasy about somebody that's not your spouse, it's tantamount to adultery. The sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars. Have you ever told a lie? Good person test. Have you ever told a lie? What does that make you? All liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I'm going to take you to the fourth key to grasping the gospel. This is a climax to the message. I want to tell you this. Number one, because we're finding ourselves in a crisis. It would appear that the human race is the most destitute, hopeless, miserable, wretched thing in the whole universe. We... We're we're born into sin, we live in sin, we suffer in sin, we die in sin, and then the second death. Is that all there is? And God is just to do it. But we're finding ourselves in a crisis, and I tell you this, how crucial is this point? If I had 30 seconds, if you were dying on the floor, bleeding to death, and I had a message to save your soul. I take those 30 seconds, 25 of those seconds, I talk about Jesus. I talk about the cross and what he did for us. And then I take those last five seconds, I say, give your all to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Call on Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's how important this is. Fourth key to grasping the gospel. Christ is a crucified and risen Savior. We need a Savior, friends. That's why Christians say we're saved. And that's a passive verb. We didn't save ourselves. Someone had to come along and save us. Jesus saves from sin. Jesus saves from sickness. Jesus saves from the sorrow. Jesus saves from the wrath of God. Jesus saves us from the second death. We need a Savior. Because someone say that I need a Savior today. Jesus is a crucified and risen Savior. I'm going to hone in on these three things. Who Christ is, what Christ did, and why Christ came. I'm going to take some time uh, on who Christ is, who Jesus is. This is important to the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. You're going to need your Bibles. This is in my notes. It's not in your notes. 
talking about the, who, who Jesus is. Why? Because there's a lot of different Jesuses out there that, have, that are not saviors, they're not lords, they're not Christ, they're, they're false, they're phony, and they have no ability to save your soul. Think about it. There's a cult out there that says Jesus was a created being, that he is the incarnation of an archangel. There's another cult that says Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan. There's Islam, one of the world's largest religions. It denies Jesus being the Son of God, but says he was only a prophet, a man, and nothing more. Which Jesus do you follow? Because he can't be both. He can't be the Son of God and only a man. Are, are, you, are you understanding that? Jesus can only be who he is. He can't be who he isn't. So you better believe the right Jesus. You could say, I know Jared. Yeah, I know Jared. He's a great guy. You know, the five-foot-tall Asian woman. We're not thinking of the same Jared, are we? So you tell me you know Jesus. Which Jesus are you talking about? Is he the Jesus who was born of a virgin? Is he the Jesus who lived a sinless life? Is he the Jesus who had a substitutional death? He died for our sins. Is he the Jesus who was humbly buried? Is he the Jesus who rose on the third day? Is he the Jesus who's coming back to judge the living and the dead and to claim the universe is his? Are we thinking of the same Jesus? Or are you thinking of a cardboard cutout, phony, picture the mulleted Jesus on the Watchtower magazine, all right? You, some of you got that. You, you ever had a Jehovah's Witness at your door? You know what I'm talking about. The cardboard cutout, the mulleted Jesus, and the illustration getting baptized by John the Baptist. Just, all right, going, we're going there. That's not Jesus. He has no power to save you. Jesus said, watch out, there will be many false Christs. And, and it, it goes deeper than that. You can look at New Age. They want to claim Jesus as their own. Say he was a guru. Say he was a Buddhist. Or there's just a lot of unbelievers out there. They say he was a good teacher. He was one among many. I want you to look at the Jesus that Paul preached. And by the way, this is Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I scoured Romans, because Romans, Paul takes his time with the gospel, and that's what I wanted to do today. And what was the first order of business? Paul was talking about the gospel of God. Look at the, look at the end of verse 1. It says, He is set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel He promised beforehand through His uh, prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding who? Regarding His Son. This is the gospel about God's Son. Who as to his human nature, someone say human nature, he was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul here is alluding to a doctrine we call this hypostatic union. This is a biblical teaching. It describes who Jesus is, what Jesus is like. He said that Jesus had a human nature. All right. So Jesus is truly human. He, he has every feature of humanity that you and I have, every, that these bodies that our human nature carries. He's just like us. He has a human nature. He's a descendant of David, which alludes to him being the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people that was prophesied beforehand. That's why he says it was told before his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he has a human nature. He's a descendant of David, meaning he's the Messiah, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared by power to be the Son of God. So he has a human nature and he's the Son of God. Paul thought this was important. This is the very first thing he said regarding the gospel. That it's the gospel regarding his Son 
who had a human nature, but through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So that's just alluding, that's just skimming the surface. John chapter 1 verse 1 gives another explanation of this, talking about Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Talking about Jesus, Jesus was with God, but he was also God. How about that? Some translators, to draw out the meaning of those words, they would say the word was with God and the word was fully God. Or the word was with God and the word was truly divine. And people may quibble over the Greek there in the translation, but I agree with that theology. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is truly divine. Are you listening? So he has a human nature. This is the hypostatic union. Jesus is fully God. He is 100% God. There's nothing about him that isn't God, yet he is fully human. That's why it's called the hypostatic union. The word hypostasis means substance. It's the union of substances, the divine substance of the Godhead, of the Trinity, and the human substance of the man who was born from the Virgin Mary. Are you, are you getting that? That's the Jesus we're talking about in case there's any confusion. That's who Christ is. Now let's look at what Christ did. We know that Jesus, according to Revelation 13, 8, was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Now just take a real quick look at 1 Corinthians 15, as found in your notes. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You've heard that more times uh, than you can count, I bet. If you're anything like me, we've all heard the gospel. We have, we have so much gospel and Bible knowledge available to us from a young age. So we've heard it, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, he rose again, that's great. And we say it so casually, we become so familiar with it. But I want to unpack first what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross. Revelation 13, 8 tells us that he was slain from the foundation of the world. So before God created the world, before he created the human race, and before man fell into sin, God understood that he would send his son to be the sacrifice for those sins. I want to take you to a, an author of the 1600s, John Flavel. He was a Puritan, and he wrote what is called the Father's Bargain with the Son. This was from the 1600s, so he has that vernacular of that time. I'm going to read some of it for you to get an idea. Could you imagine the conversation that God the Father was having with Jesus? I'm going to send you to die for the world. Amen, Dad. Okay, maybe a little deeper than that. This is kind of a hypothetical thing. We don't know what actually happened, but we know that God had this set in place before the foundation of the world. Amen? So I'm getting to Flavel right here. This is the father speaking. The father says, my son, he's ref here is a company of poor, miserable souls. The father here is referring to the human race. Here is a company of poor, miserable souls, sick, sin-sick blind and wretched. They have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Remember, a good God must punish every act of evil. A good God cannot tolerate any evil. Because we sin, we lie open to his justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? And thus Christ returns. Now the Son speaks. Oh, my Father, such is my love too and pity for them. He loves us. He pities us. 
rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them, says Jesus, as their surety, that is their, their down payment, so to speak. Bring in all thy bills, that I may see what they owe thee. Lord, bring them all in, that there may be no after-reckonings with them. At my hand thou shalt require it. I will choose to suffer thy wrath, then they should suffer it. Upon me, my father, be all their debt. But my son, if thou undertake for them, thou must reckon to pay the last might. Expect no abatements. The father says this to the son. If I spare them, I'll not spare you. If I spare the human race, if I spare wicked sinners who deserve my wrath, I'm not going to spare you. If you want to be responsible, this is what you have to do. I want you to learn that word. You must reckon to pay the last might. Expect no abatements. We need to learn that today. Abatement. To abate means to lessen or reduce or otherwise hold back from the full amount of something. So what the Father is saying with no abatements, Jesus suffered for our sins with no abatement. That is to say, all the wrath, all the anger, all the punishment, all the fury, all the suffering that God had reserved for these sinners, all of it is being poured on the Son. No abatement. Nothing held back. He held nothing back. That's why Jesus hung on the cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was more than the Roman form of execution, the crucifixion. That was painful enough. But he was under the wrath of God on our behalf. That's why it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 3, 4, 4. This is a scripture spree. You don't have to turn to all these. Romans 8, 3, and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus received our condemnation in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's offensive to, to people to say you're cursed. Our sin is a curse. It's a sin cancer. And nobody's risen above it. Everybody has it. He became our curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, and he hung on that tree of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made, made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He embodied all of our wickedness. He embodied the sinful condition that God could not accept. He embodied all the evil deeds. He embodied all your wicked behaviors, all your past, present, future. He embodied your sin. He be. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And to clear up a misconception, Jesus did not pay off the devil at the cross. The blood was not to pay off the devil. It was to pay God the Father. Remember, bring in all thy debts. Said the father to the son, uh, said the son, bring in all their debts. I'm going to I'm going to pay for it. And he paid with his blood. He gave his life as a ransom to the father. Isaiah 53, four through six, and then verse 10. Again, you don't have to turn to all these places. Isaiah 53. This is 700 years before Jesus. 
prophesied. This was predicted to the T of how he would suffer for our sins. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So when they looked on Christ at the cross, they said, he's suffering for his own sin. And they said, save yourself. If you're the Messiah, save yourself. But he didn't save himself. He didn't save himself so that he could save us. We, we scorned him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, that is the punishment for our peace, was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Listen, nobody is good for this reason. Everybody, in one way or another, you could be a religious goody two-shoes all you want. This is everybody, has turned their back on God in one way, shape, or form. Everybody. You might have said to yourself, well, if I was in the garden, instead of Adam, I would have never sinned against God. I would have obeyed God. You would have disobeyed him somewhere else. You'd have turned your back on him somewhere else. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I'm going to do me. I'm going to live life as I see fit. I'm going to make up a way of living and make up a value system apart from God, and we all do those things. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. It pleased the Lord. The Lord was the one to bruise him. And it pleased him to do it. You know why it pleased God to crush his own son? Because if he didn't crush his son, he would have crushed you. And he would have been pleased to do it. Jesus has his, uh, God the Father has as much obligation to welcome sinners into his kingdom as I have to welcome ants and cockroaches into my house. Hello? As much as I have to let Al-Qaeda, you know, into my school or something. They're wicked. They have no place with me. Are you listening? They have no place in my house. And that's the same way sinners, rebels against God have no place with him. He has no obligation to love them. No obligation to show them mercy. No obligation to be kind. They only lie open to his justice. And it would please him. And it will please him to punish the wicked who don't repent. But when we put our faith in Christ, remember, he was crushed. It pleased the Lord to crush him so that he would not have to crush us. Finally, I want to get to why Christ came. This has been a heavy message. This is where it gets to the good news, to the grace, to the love, the kindness of God. Look at John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world. Jesus came out of love. It was a mission of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Does God loves you mean anything in this world anymore? Does it mean anything to any of you? God loves me means Jesus died for me. God loves me means he held nothing back from me. He gave his son. I wouldn't give my son for any of you. I love my son. He's three months old. He's cute. 
cutest kid in the world. I wouldn't give him for any of you. The Bible says in another place, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the enemies of God, God had made a way for us by the giving of His Son to be reconciled. God sent His Son out of love. He never stopped being good. Understand that. God made us in His goodness. He made man in His image. He made man to reflect Him. He made man to know Him. He made man to glorify Him. He made us in His goodness. He had a good plan, a good purpose, and a good will towards each and every one of us. When we sinned, we met the condition then for His wrath and His justice, but He never stopped being good. He never stopped having a good will toward us. Jesus had to come to reconcile it so that we can be righteous, so that we can be the recipients of His love and goodness again instead of recipients of His wrath, so we can meet that condition that Christ met. And another thing just to chew on, some people say, oh yeah, loving Jesus, sending people to hell. You know, that's, that's the, the mocking language they use. He puts them on the barbecue of hell, and, and that's loving Jesus. That's our gentle Jesus holding a lamb while poking sinners in the lake of fire. That's our loving Jesus. Listen, Jesus doesn't send people to hell. He saves people from hell. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Jesus didn't have to come, and he didn't have to die for you. He didn't have to pay for your sins. But if he didn't, there'd be no hope for everybody. Everybody would be lost. Everybody would go to hell. No one would be a friend of God. Everyone would be an enemy of God. Jesus does not send you to hell. He saves you from hell. You stood condemned already, and then he came so that you could believe on him. And I want to hit on that resurrection really quick. He didn't stay dead. Hallelujah. That would have made him just a martyr. Just another good good person who died for a cause. But he's more than a martyr. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 14. I'm going to get through these last points quickly. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. It says, if Jesus is not resurrected, then what are we doing? We're wasting our time. And you're believing in nothing if Jesus is not raised, if he's just a martyr, if he's just a good man. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified that God has raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him from the dead if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Are you listening to that? If Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sin. You're believing in nothing. Why? Because everything would have came to a halt if he stayed dead. There would not be a church if he was not alive. There would not be redemption and new life if he didn't rise to a new life. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. So if I'm just believing in Christ, trusting Him, suffering, doing all these things, and there's no resurrection, there's no afterlife, there's no nothing, I'm wasting my time. But look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed. Say, Christ indeed. He is risen. Come on. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, what, who was that man? Death came through a man, sin came through a man. Adam. Death came through a man. 
the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Who's that man? For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' eternal life is the vouchsafe for your eternal life. Here's four, uh, four things that the resurrection of Christ teaches us. These are my notes, so, so write these down. Christ's resurrection validates, one, the truth of his teachings. It validates the truth of his teachings. Because I could say a lot of deep stuff and be a nobody. And I could, and I could say, man, I'm going to rise from the dead. They're going to try to kill me, and they're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise from the dead. But if I don't rise from the dead, if I stay dead, how many know I'm going to be shown to be a fraud? If I say things like, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and then I stay dead after saying I'd rise from the dead, how many know I'd be a fraud? I'd be lying, right? And if Jesus stayed dead, then we could just throw out his teachings with anybody else and just lump it together with some nice principles, make our home and garden religion. But Jesus' resurrection validates the truth of his teachings, therefore they are to be fully obeyed. Second thing, his claims to divinity. Again, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have, you have seen the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Hallelujah. He says, I'm the light of the world. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the bread of life. All these grandiose claims concerning himself, elevating himself to the place of deity, to God the Father. These things are validated by the resurrection. It also shows that there's life after death. That there's more to life than these 70 and 80 years that we live. And that there's more to life than what this material world has to offer. It shows that there's a whole new realm of existence. The supernatural, the eternal, and all these things that, that we're barely scratching the surface on. Jesus gives us a glimpse into that through the resurrection. Fourth thing is, this is the hope of Christians the world over. That because he has been raised, we will be raised. There's a day when everyone will be raised. Some to be glorified, others to be condemned. But our hope is that we will raise to glory with Jesus. And we will be like him when we see him. This brings me to my fifth key to grasp in the gospel. What are we going to do? What are we going to do in response to this? In response to our sin condition, our sin cancer. And, and Jesus' amazing work to bring redemption. What should our response be? How should we live our lives hearing about this Jesus, hearing about this Savior? I like the way it was framed in, in the book of Acts in two different places. The fifth key to grasping the gospel is, grasp, is grasping that man is to repent and believe in the gospel. That is our response. Repent and believe. Everyone say repent and believe. Look at Acts 2.37. This was the preaching of Peter. How many know St. Peter or, or however you want to think of him? He was one of the 12 disciples. And he's preaching, man. He's telling them all about Jesus. And he's talking about the death. And he's talking about the resurrection. And there's this whole crowd of Jewish people. And, they're, and they ask themselves, the, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. That their heart was pierced by his words. And if your heart is being pierced, it's not because I'm a dynamic speaker. That's the Holy Spirit. And that was the same on the day of Pentecost. The same Holy Spirit that was there when Peter preached these words. Uh, is the same that's here now. So they were cut to the heart. They heard Peter talk about Jesus. And they say, what shall we do? What am I going to do about this Jesus? Come on. 
And that's where I was five years ago when I gave my life to Jesus. I understood he was real. Like, oh, man, what am I going to do? I got to live for Jesus. He's the only game in town. Come on. What shall we do? And Peter's response, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Repent and be baptized. Not to avoid any controversy, there have been folks in, in the Bible who have been saved apart from baptism. But what he's saying is repent and, and have baptism to show your repentance and to initiate you into that new life. That's an outward symbol. But he says repent and be baptized. Turn from your evil ways. All those things you were doing that displeased God. All those things. Maybe it's Friday night. Come on. It's Friday. Friday night is tonight. Saturday night tomorrow. Maybe you're planning on sinning tomorrow. Going to a party and doing something that displeases God. And you call it a good time. He says repent of those things. Repent. Repent of past sins. Repent of uh, present sins. Repent of those future sins you still plan on. If you plan on living a life of sin, doing things your own way, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn around. You need to repent. And turn from those sins and turn to the living God. Those things are those things that destroy you. Sin destroys you. Sin kills you. Sin kills your family. Sin kills this world. You need to turn from it. You cannot embrace it. You need to, you need to get off of that. And turn to God. Repent of your sins. Another place it says, what must I do to be saved? And this, these words in Acts 16.30 were uttered by a Philippian jailer. He, 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 was a, he guarded over the prison. And Paul, preaching with his buddy Silas, they were imprisoned for the gospel. And as they prayed and sang hymns to God, an earthquake came, and they, they got out, and everybody got out. It was miraculous. And this guy knew he was in trouble. This would cost him. So he said, forget that. My, my employer will kill me. He will literally kill me. So I'm going to save myself the trouble. And I won't, I'll save the trouble, and I'll kill myself. And as he was about to do so, they said, stop. And they preached to him. And his response, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16, 31, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Repent and believe in the gospel. Salvation according to the Bible. Again, this is a biblical extrapolation of, of a truth that we find throughout the scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it's by grace you've been saved through faith. So we believe this. This is in our creed that we cite every week. A person is saved by grace alone. Someone say grace alone. alone. Through faith alone. Faith alone. alone. In Christ alone. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. You are saved by the grace of God. No man charts his own way to heaven. No man decides that I'm going to uh, do th- these sort of things, and I'm going to follow this spiritual path, and I'm going to, and that's going to make me right with God, and that's going to earn me a place in heaven. You are not in that place to argue and tell God how you're going to live your life. Come on. We need to repent and believe in the gospel. That's the only option He's given us. Turn from our evil deeds. Put faith in Jesus. It's the only thing He's given us. And when we put that faith in Christ and His completed work, His death, burial, and resurrection, God's grace is poured out into our lives. God's grace makes us a new person. God's grace reconciles our relationship with God, which was broken by sin. God's grace is what spares us from the second death. By grace through faith. Let's look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. We will not chart our own course to heaven. We're not going to stand before God and 
give him an explanation of our life and, 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 and try to excuse why we sinned and fell short. He already knows. He already knows the facts. He doesn't need to hear it from you. The Bible says that every mouth will be shut, the whole world accountable to God. And no amount of good works can outdo the bad things. So let's, let's just get that out of the window, all right? We need to do things God's way, amen? The way he prescribed, repent and believe in the gospel. Looking at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. Learn that term, justified. It's the legal declaration. You are exonerated for all your sins. You are declared not guilty. You may have been holding the knife. Your clothes might have been spattered with blood. But God the judge can look at you and say, not guilty because of what Jesus did. You are justified. And how are you justified? When you believe in your heart. And what do you believe in your heart? That God raised Jesus from the dead. And it is with your mouth you confess and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can we just shout Jesus? Can we call Jesus? Jesus! Jesus! How do we want to be saved? Everyone who calls on that name, that is a promise. One of those if-then things, you know, if you call on his name, then you will be saved. It's always what follows. To put faith in Christ, this is what we get from Romans 10. To put your faith in a crisis, to confess Christ. You're going to live a life and you're going to use language that confesses that Jesus is your Lord and makes that clear. You're going to make him the Lord of your life. You're going to confess that Jesus is Lord. You are not the Lord anymore. You are not the decider of your fate. You are not the master of your ship. You're turning the control over to Jesus. The, the plans you had for your life, give those up to Jesus. The way you thought of, about doing things and went about things, you need to give that up to Jesus. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Believe him with all your heart. Say it, it is one thing, and we're in a nation full of people who say it and don't mean it. Believe it in your heart. Trust him fully. Trust him with your family, finances, and everything else that you hold dear. You need to entrust those things to him. And then call on him and be saved. If I could get a, the band to come up. I want to go back to that definition of the gospel. The gospel is the good news concerning God's glory and humanity's salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God is glorified in the gospel because it shows that he's holy shows that he's wise, that he's sovereign, that in the midst of everything, in the midst of all our sin, I'd like you all to stand up right now. Let's get in that attitude. I want you to really receive this. Let's download this in our spirits. The gospel glorifies God because it shows all those things we mentioned. It shows that he's a good creator. It shows that he's a righteous judge. It shows that he's holy. It shows that he's wise. That he's working it out in the midst of all the sin, in the midst of all the chaos in our world. That God is making something beautiful happen. He's making it right. He's making the world right through the gospel. Where we all went wrong, he's making it right. He's shown to be infinitely loving through giving his son. And man is saved in the gospel 
through his sin and from his sin and suffering, we are reconciled to God. How is this possible? No one can manufacture the gospel. No one can invent the gospel. One preacher said the gospel is like water. No one invented it and we can't live without it. The gospel is here for us by the grace of God and we receive it through faith in Jesus. I want you to look at Revelation and on your screen, Revelation 7, 9 through 12. And to give the context of this, how many are interested in the end times, the Antichrist, the tribulation, all that stuff? After all that, after the return of Christ, Armageddon, all those things, the great white throne judgment, all we have left is eternity. All we have left is endless time to be with God or to be without God in the lake of fire. But this talks about eternity with God. Revelation 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. This is eternity. This is what heaven looks like. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Every nation and tribe represented. There's going to be people from every generation, every race of people getting saved through this gospel. And they're all before the throne of God. We can think of our enemies, Iran, about to go to war with us. There's going to be Iranians before the throne of God. There's going to be Americans. There's going to be black folks. There's going to be Puerto Ricans. There's going to be all kinds of people before God's throne. Rich, poor, young, old, slave and free makes no difference. Languages. These things are no distinction. Everybody is getting it through the gospel. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation! Someone say salvation! This great multitude that no one could count was saved through the gospel. Billions of people throughout the world and throughout history saved through this gospel. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then as we look, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worship God saying amen praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever amen God is getting glorified in this gospel all the angels the four winged creatures the elders the whole host of heaven sees what God has done Saving sinners through the gospel. Showing his mercy and his justice through the gospel. Showing his wisdom and his righteous sovereign plan through the gospel. And they can't help but worship when they see what God has done. That's often a picture I get when I worship God. We'll see him on the day. We'll see Jesus, you've done it. You've made it right. We see all the crazy stuff going on in our world and in our personal lives today and we don't see an end to it. We think darkness is prevailing. But we're, this is the heavenly perspective. He's done it. He's got people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. 
and he's getting glory for it. With every head bowed and eyes closed. Give God glory for his gospel. Give God glory for his gospel. Bless him for his gospel. Bless him for what he's done. You are worthy. Bless him for his gospel. Bless him for his salvation. Salvation belongs to God. All the saints. All the saints and angels bow before you. All the elders bow before you. He's worthy. Tell me he's worthy. You are worthy of it. Just worship God right now. You are worthy if you need to find a place to pray at these altars, why don't you just come to these altars and just call out to God to change you, to save you, to cleanse you of any sins you may have. So we're just going to open these altars up for you to come and pray. As you worship, come on, if you need to bow down before him today, do that. Come on, make some time to pray right now as you're worshiping. For from yes, God. You are our oh yes. To you are our Come on. You deserve the glory. Come Sing on. All the saints. Yes, just make a time to pray as you're worshiping. Some of you gotta pray today. Just don't sing it if you haven't prayed it. Oh, you're 
Come on, some of you do need to sing it, but some of you need to pray first. We open these altars here. Come on now. Jesus. Come on, all the saints. Yes, God. says every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord come on let's just bow our knees before the Lord today bow down before him worship him bowing your knees is a sign of humility come on we're humbling ourselves before God because there's nobody like him he's a good God and he loves us all the saints he died for us all these saints and angels bow bow before your throne we're bowing before your throne all the elders cast yes their crowns before the lamb of god and sing now shout you are worthy of it all
Now we're going to sing it again, but just the vocals and the guitar. You are worthy. You are worthy of it all. From your heart to His. You are worthy of it all. No one can sing it for you today, saints. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. Come on, just one more time. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Oh, yes, you are, God. You are worthy of it all. Jesus. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, just thank him in your own way right now. If you want to clap, clap. If you want to use your vocals, just thank him in your own way right now. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. If you want to dance, dance. If you want to shout, shout. Just thank him on your own right now. Let it be spontaneous. Let it be spontaneous from your heart. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. If you want to sing in your own words, do it. Come on, if you just want to be silent in his presence, do it. But just thank him right now in your own way. In your own spontaneous way right now, just for the next few moments. Just glorify him in your own way. Woo! Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, if you can, in this attitude of prayer, just begin to make your way back to your seats. Find your notes and journal. We'll put just on the sidelines, please. And I want you to write down what God is speaking to you. If you can't be seated because you're praying, it's okay. Take your time. But we want to just let God speak it now to us because this is a time to go deeper with God than you ever have before. Just softly in the background, you are worthy. Oh, now just get back to your notebook now. What is God saying to you? Come on. What is this message speaking to you? If you just need to soak in a little bit, we're not in a hurry, but I want you to write it down. Don't forget it. You are worthy. Oh, yes, God. the rest of the band except this you guys can go and do that same thing okay Ellie would you bring me mine back there please oh yes oh yes God you are worthy you are so worthy I love what you're doing in me God I may not always understand it thank you but God I know you're doing great things in my life just want to take these few moments, God, to write them down. 
is just softly in the background as we just meditate and write down what God is doing. Yes, God. Keep removing the veil, God. Open our eyes so we can see what you're doing. Oh, you're such a mystery, God. But you said you reveal your mysteries to those who seek you out. You said the deep things, God, you keep for your disciples, you reveal them to them. Oh, God, reveal those deep things to us today. Our life is but a parable, God. You, you interpret it. You know the meaning of why we go through what we go through. God, let us in on that conversation today. Let us hear what you and the Son and the Holy Spirit talk about us. I want to hear that conversation of the Trinity today. I want to read a page out of Psalms 139 for the book of my life. for the lives of those that are here today. There's something bigger than what you're doing just in a service today. You're doing something of eternal value. Things that angels will glorify you for. You said in Ephesians that we are your masterpiece. So you're making us to be the Picasso of heaven so one day you can reveal it to the myriad of endless angels oh god let me understand some of your brush strokes today some of the colors the patterns that you're designing in my life in this church and the people around me god <laughs> oh you're such a good painter god you paint everything beautiful you paint everything beautiful god Show somebody today that may not be convinced yet. They're here. They're giving it all they got, but they're still not seeing their life beautiful. They're not seeing the ups and downs yet. It's your brush strokes, God, your pattern. They're not able to see what you're designing yet. It's too, it's too abstract for them, God. God, show them a piece of it today.